Hello and welcome to another episode of our Real Estate Insights Earth Series, exploring the role and responsibilities of the property sector in the future sustainability of our planet and our lives. I'm Guy Ruddle. And I'm Marilis Ramos. In this episode, we're going to be looking at one of the most challenging decisions for developers and landlords in the move towards a greener property world, whether to retrofit or rebuild. Yeah, and Marilis, it's, it, it's not, you know, you might imagine that it's sort of in the, in the earth world, it's always retrofit, but it's, it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Yes, definitely. It's, it's much more complicated. And of course, we love the idea of reusing old buildings. That should be at the top of the hierarchy of interventions, and it's a key consideration. And we tackled why during our Circular Economy podcast a few months ago. But every project is unique. What the industry is saying is that it should be retrofit first, but not retrofit only. And with the help of our panel today, we hope to unpick these issues. Yeah, because we're not alone, right? Okay, we, we have help in understanding this stuff. Let's meet the, the people who are here to help us. Let's start with Julia Mountford, is a, who's a director in the planning division. She also heads Savile's Energy and Climate Change Group. Julia, you've been on a podcast, but in, in lockdown, so we've not actually met before. Welcome to the studio. Thank you, Guy, and good to be here. And then we also have Nick Taylor, who is a director in the Building Project Consultancy Division, or the BPC. He's been at Savills for nearly 20 years, and so has seen the evolution of the move towards a more sustainable world from the beginning. Welcome, Nick. Hi, I'm excited to be here. And Stephen Lloyd is an associate in the Savills Earth team, concentrating on sustainable design. He's been promoting passive and energy-efficient design strategies for more than 10 years. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's start with you. And perhaps I could ask you a really basic question to sort of what do we mean by retrofit and what do we mean by rebuild? I, I guess the, the latter is a bit more obvious, but, you know, just talk a little bit about the relationship between the two and what they both are. Uh, I guess so in its simplest terms, it's the difference between retaining a building that's on the site, maybe enhancing it to, 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 to modernise it versus the demolition of that building, the clearing of a site and building something shiny and new. And do you think that the industry has a good grip on when retrofit is the ideal scenario and when rebuild is the better option? Historically, I'd say uh, we've been quite quick to move away from retrofit and kind of build the shiny new thing um, unless of course there's conservation or um, listing requirements there's often like a perception that the new building is going to be better um, and I think often people think of an existing building when it's especially when it's approaching its kind of refurbishment as this like tired thing which isn't going to sell to sell to a future tenant I know that's the sort of historical thing but do you get a sense that that's changing I mean maybe we we know about it because we do a regular property podcast and, you know, and, and, and are in that gym. But I, the sense I get is that actually that is a conversation that's happening an awful lot at the moment. Increasing, yeah, increasingly so. And I think that's, that's due to an increasing amount of data about the impact of, of the two different approaches. For example, the embodied carbon impact of the materials that we build a new building with it makes up something like 15% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. There's an enormous chunk that, uh, until really recently, um, has gone completely unmonitored, unchecked. And an increasing amount of uh, knowledge around in, in that area is really like helping us to like start to figure out what the best approach might be. So I know we said in the beginning it's retrofit first instead of retrofit only. So how do we, as members of this industry, 
explore all of the reuse options before we consider building new? It's about asking the right questions at, at, at the right time of a project. There's plenty of historic uh, examples of projects where that decision on whether we're rebuilding or retrofitting is being made before a design team's even engaged. And making sure that as as carbon and energy uh, assessors and analysts are in the room and undertake, uh, able to undertake that analysis and offer it to a client who is making that decision really early on in the design process is, is really key to like unlocking the potential of an existing building. I think it's also about the legislative and regulatory framework. So that helps steer those, from my point of view, in the planning process and and also for works outside of a planning process into the kind of building regulations. We're also seeing a lot more legislation around the private rented sector. Obviously, that's outside of what planning controls, but there's still a lot of legislation coming into some sectors. And I think that will help steer all of those involved in property and undertaking works in the development industry to be thinking along the right kind of lines? I think that's completely right because um, we, if we don't have those questions being asked from a policy point of view, it's too easy for people to just not think about them. And this way it's, it's forcing people to think about them. Yeah, you also find that there's a lot more positive impact of the retrofit is being marketed. So you, you find that some landlords now are, 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 are selling a, a building on the fact that it is, is a retrofit and how much that carbon that has saved over uh, a new build. And that's seen as a positive thing for the tenants then with their own corporate ESG strategies. It feels to me like that's a tipping point, isn't it? When you get to the point where it's a commercial advantage and it's not being forced on people to do that. Yeah, so there are lots of commercial advantages to the retrofit approach. So you've got reduced programme, reduced um, planning risk. You've got obviously the embodied carbon savings. It's just we need to keep thinking that it's, you've got to look at it on a building by building basis because sometimes despite all those advantages there's still a, a, an overriding decision needs to be made and sometimes that decision is to rebuild so the, the, there's definitely becoming more part of the, the, the business strategy for a building but it's maybe not the only answer. So can we talk a little bit more about the planning process? If there's one thing I've learned doing Real Estate Insights for the last oh, more years than I get to remember actually now, it is that planning is, is, you know, you can't, planning is everywhere and everything. Julia, where are we? With, what are the sort of key planning challenges in this, in this conversation of retrofit versus rebuild? I think planning has an absolutely huge role to play in in all of this this discussion. However, planning can only control works to buildings where you need planning permission and it falls under the planning regime. There are quite a lot of works to buildings that don't actually require planning permission and don't require a formal application. There's also permitted development as well. Uh, We've heard a lot recently about office to residential, agricultural to residential. And we need to have the right tools as planners to be able to consider the retrofit and the rebuild argument within that. We also need to be thinking about 
um, other elements such as historic buildings. Um, there's also health and well-being, social value. There's a number of other elements that come come into the discussion. So it's not only about carbon that we need to be considering. And it would be really helpful to have stronger national legislation to help planners in the consideration and also to help steer planners because part of their role is balancing up all of the different arguments and at the moment there's almost a little bit of a void as to how you balance up and what are the priorities. Steve and I have been working on a few retrofit projects and do you think from what we are seeing this is kind of cultural change going on within the the planning departments in that they're asking more questions about whether or not to go for retrofit or why have you gone for rebuild um, do you think that also plays a role in changing how we're doing things at the moment? I definitely think there is growing awareness of the of this debate. Westminster, for example, now has a sustainability charter and they are driving forward with the retrofit versus rebuild agenda. Um, and I think once it starts happening in London much more, it's going to filter out to the regions as well. As soon as other councils and authorities start seeing some lead, I think that they're going to be following suit as well. And in Westminster, it's something that developers now need to think of right at the very start of the process. You you can't slot it in later into the process. It must be thought about right at the beginning. And I think this, this focus on embody it's not just London. It's not just the UK. I've heard of examples from the continent where national governments have been saying we are going to make it harder for people to to just demolish and build new without showing us evidence that retrofit has, has been considered. I think Westminster have taken a fairly hard line on it though at the moment. Um and it's it's pitched more of as a as a retrofit only approach, which I think we have to be careful with. It is like not every existing building is going to be able to provide what we as humans need, but also the environment needs going forwards. And I think, yeah, we just need to be careful. I think they're, they're doing a really good thing in provoking the question and they're taking a really hard line, which is expecting people to come back with evidence. And that is great. But I think when we actually come to making a decision, we need to be a bit more holistic in, in, in what, the, what the answer is. Yeah, you'll sometimes find that some buildings, to say you've got a 1960s office block with incredibly low floor-to-ceiling heights, it's very difficult to be able to turn that into something that would be useful no, no matter what you do to it. So if the bones of the building aren't suitable for retrofit, then I totally agree, we've got to have the ability to change the, the idea. We absolutely need to move away from having some prescriptive approach in policy. It, it needs to reflect the fact that like you're saying that one size doesn't fit all and understanding how to balance up those priorities but being given the evidence to be able to to do that in an informed way. I think we're going to move on in in a moment to talk about how you sort of actually do this stuff right because I think that might be the most useful thing but before before we do uh, Mary so I just wanted to pick up on something that Julia was saying about it's not just about carbon and that you know especially with historic buildings and things like that there are there are sort of social other social things that are part of that is is that do you think quite a hard thing to sort of get into people's heads i don't think so i think i think everyone who is in this industry recognizes that it's not just about carbon it's just the the loudest story at the moment but all of our all of our design considerations from the beginning are still there you still have to provide a space that 
that promotes health and well-being, productivity, all of those things. And what Nick said about a building not being fit for purpose in its geometry or maybe in its structure is something to think about. It's not just retrofit only, like Steve said. It is retrofit first. Where some of the social elements and the the kind of human-centric elements do struggle, though, is that there's, well, carbon, for example, there's a number, there's an output. It's a black or white. This is right, this is wrong. Um, And trying, yeah, trying to kind of argue against that with something about public space, public realm, community provision, it it's not it's not it's not an equation and i think like that that can that can make it quite difficult to like actually balance out which is the the most positive answer so now let's talk about how you actually do retrofit um starting from steve what do you think are the key elements of a successful retrofit project oh that's a good question we need to be able to get in there and assess the existing condition first like harness data and understand how big a problem we have to solve to make the existing building usable for our future use. To actually understand what's possible, what are the limitations um, and how far we might need to go if we're going to retrofit the building. That, before you draw any conclusions, I think needs to be done. And Nick, that, that's sort of what you were, similar to what you were saying about that, your example of a 1960s building, that, you know, if it's, if it's just fundamentally not right, it, you, you're, you're starting in a bad place. Yeah, that's right. But you, you've, you've also, I suppose, got to, to think that there's huge benefits. So don't go into something thinking that we've been forced into the retrofit. There's, there's huge benefits to going down the, the, the retrofit route. Um, you can work within the character of the building. So you can um, enhance the, the good characteristics and the good points of that building whilst replacing the poor characteristics to make it perform as good as or or, um, certainly as as good as if not better than a new building. And in terms of the design of it like what what type of measures are normally included in a retrofit project? So if it's looking at a choice between a rebuild and and a retrofit then generally you're looking at a vacant possession building so on that kind of instance then you can look at all sorts of other commercial aspects as well as the fact that you're you're, you're keeping this um, from this embodied carbon within the structure so that can be additional floors in filling atriums repositioning um, entrances so those kind of things make a a successful um, retrofit and they also help to pay for the other energy enhancement measures like replacing the facade that might not have been included if you hadn't have driven the value of the asset. And Steve, is it possible to get a retrofitted building to perform as well as a new build? It really depends on the building, but it's entirely possible. In an operational sense, um, operational performance sense, I think, yeah, it's entirely possible. It's just a question of how far you're willing to go, maybe how much you can afford. And when you were talking about data, what sort of data were you, were you talking about? Information about the, about the existing building, what it's made of when it was built like when it was uh, refurbished, what the management strategy has been to look after it, the thermal performance characteristics of the facades and things. I think it also in terms of driving retrofit, it's possibly about thinking what the end user actually wants. And the more that in society we believe that this is the right way to do, then the more that occupiers using the building, if that's what's driving them, then that's going to make whoever's delivering the building much more willing to look at different options as well. And I think what Steve was saying about data gathering, that does include some element of post-occupancy evaluation. For example, if it's 
um, in situ, if it's occupants in situ, if it's a vacant property, then you look at the potential tenants and see what their priorities are, how they use energy, existing energy bills, I think, Steve, is very useful as well, right? Mm. And I do think that planning has a real role to play in this. At the moment, a lot of planning policies have been focused on new build development, not on retrofit. And as as soon, I mean, we've mentioned Westminster already, but as soon as more policies start having that retrofit focus, it's going to form part of the consideration of how you move forward with a building. Can I ask, because all you four, are, you know, are in this world in a real way that I, I'm not. Are there examples? I don't know whether you can talk about specific examples, but uh, are there examples of, of where this has been done really well? So there's, Stephen's done a great piece of work on a, a building that we've um, that we've got on site at the moment where he evaluated the... The, the total carbon over the lifespan of the building over 60 years on the scheme, the retrofit scheme um, that we're undertaking versus if we were to have dropped that building um, and, and, and built something new, it would have performed slightly better, but the carbon that it saved in, the, in, in that decision not to uh, rebuild uh, was significant. Yeah, it was, um, it was a comparison of whole life carbon emissions, which captures your embodied carbon in terms of the carbon emissions in the materials you're using to build it or refurbish it, um, but also the operational performance. And what, like bringing those two together, allows you to capture some of the limitations of a refurbishment and what might not be achieved in terms of operational performance, but also the benefits in terms of embodied carbon because you're just not building stuff. And um, Sorry, you're going to do a service for me and, 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 and everybody I go to a dinner party with because I've been quoting a figure for a number of years now which I think I heard on Real Estate Insights but I might be getting it wrong. Is it something like 90% of the life usage, the life carbon of a building is in the building of the building? Is it something like that or am I imagining that? Uh, that, one, that might be a bit high. Um, but it's pretty but, high, but right? It's, it's quite significant, yeah. And, and obviously it does depend on the performance of the building, but it can be as much as 60-70% is locked up in embodied carbon of a new build. And that's an example that performs really well operationally. The story is changing. So it may, now it's getting closer to probably 90%, but before no one was paying attention to embodied carbon because operational was so huge. Um, but now that building regulations are getting better, buildings are becoming more energy efficient, that slice of the pie is getting ever smaller and the embodied carbon chunk is getting bigger in comparison. In the real world, Nick, you've got to get out there. You've got to make the case. And we sort of talked about it a bit, but in terms of really making that case, the business case for doing this, where do you start? And, and, and perhaps more importantly, where do you go to? Yeah, so there's, there's probably two different uh, retrofit scenarios. The first being a vacant possession retrofit. And then I think that is where you, you've got the opportunities to increase floor space, increase the value of the, uh, the assets, reposition the assets so you, you can be um, recladding, repositioning the, the reception and really make it akin to a new build. The other scenario is where you've got a multi-let building and those tenants will stay in occupation. You've got different lease events happening at different times, so it will never be vacant possession. At that point, you've got to look at um, like a phased, get into the granularity of a phased marginal gains. So you, you've got to then a, a, a 10-year plan for the asset with a net zero pathway. So there's, there's two different scenarios there and, and each, each one requires a different mindset to get you where you want to be and, and a lot of different time periods as well. 
Yeah, I mean, the first sounds an awful lot simpler than than, than the second, but I guess the second is something that, that happens quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite a lot. Um, we, um, as part of our net zero pathways for existing buildings, is something we unpick with Nick's team. Um, and yeah, really diving into those like leasing arrangements and, and understanding how it works is, is a, quite a complex task. Yeah, I'd also say that if you if putting in place a net zero pathway just en- enables you to, if, if you do need to then sell that asset, you can sell it with a plan. Whereas if you bring an asset to the market and you're asking people to make quite quick de- quite quick decisions over the marketing period about how they can get that building to, to perform in a way it needs to be in a few years, if you've already done that work, you, you're moving some risk from a purchaser and then that could potentially lead to a, an increased uh, asset price. A tenant's hard to convince it, it varies. It's got easier because of the price of energy, clearly. So it's in everybody's yeah. mind that that is a large business cost. So I think you've got to be able to go in there and show the benefits to that particular tenant for the disruption that they're going to be experiencing. If you're trying to move a building away from natural gas that's got a, a, a sitting tenants in there, then there will be a lot of disruption for them um, and they've got to buy into it. Otherwise, you're, yeah, you're, you're going to be in problems. Not, not all of these measures are going to uh, require the tenant to move out of that space, though. Um, we're finding there's an awful lot of uh, savings being made just in kind of like ironing out the kinks of management of a building, like kind of rectifying the human errors of, of uh, that have developed over the course of the lifetime of that building. And there's quite a lot that can be done just by not, not putting new stuff in, not kicking people out, just making sure it's working properly. Yeah, it goes back to the data gathering. We've fa- we've on buildings before. We've we've gathered the data on on the usage of the building and found that there's an, a huge amount of energy being used at night when nobody's in the building, and that's just related to time clocks that tenants control just over time, just becoming out of sync. So it's not a particularly expensive thing to do. It's just a, a labour intensive thing to do to go in there and just start to work and rebase everything. And it's, but but it does yield yield real time energy reductions. And I would imagine there are some tenants who would actually want these retrofits done because they're, you know, they would be looking forward to a refresh of the space, lesser energy bills and all of that. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, offset against the disruption. So, yeah, it's a it's a fine line to, to tread, but you're right. And, of course, the, you know, when you're talking about retrofitting a building, it's, it's, you're doing it to a building that's 20 years old and has probably got an infrastructure where a, a, an enlightened developer has put in systems so that you can pull you know put new wiring or new sensors in different places easily is very different from taking a building that's 120 years old and I don't know, it's built in an entirely different way, right? Yeah, so you've got to play to the building strength. So on the historic buildings, obviously there's a lot of character there. They generally will have openable windows, so you can work with that to maybe introduce some sort of mixed mode or or natural ventilation scheme. Um, You can insulate from the inside rather than looking at a a cladding replacement. So, yeah, there's lots of different interventions you can do for different types of buildings, and you've just got to look at each one on its own merits, really. Sounds hard work, Steve. It's a lot of unpicking, yeah, but it's worth it. <laughs> if we can start moving buildings towards zero carbon in operation, but also considering the embodied Im- impacts as well, then, um, yeah, I mean, it's something we need to do. Let's, let's sort of wrap this up now. And I'm going to ask all four of you sort of, sort of the obvious final thing. How, given all this hard work that we've been talking about and the detail that goes into it and, and glimmers of light and how things are, how confident... And what makes you confident that we are moving fast enough to a world where 
it's retrofit first and that people are looking at this the right way. I think we'll start with you, Nick. I've been uh, looking at this from looking at office retrofits for the last 20 years. And so I've seen that, that change from, that start, from, from the start where the sustainability angle was probably one of the first things that suffered when cost challenges came into place where that certainly is not the, the case anymore it's really up there that other things uh, will be sacrificed whereas the the sustainability performance is is certainly something that, that is definitely maintained so that is really a positive and julia from a planning point of view i think the arguments of retrofit versus rebuild are only really beginning to come into play now um, we've got the national planning policy framework consultation that's currently out well, out to consultation until the 2nd of March and that is the first time that we've seen specifically about having energy efficiency uh, policies creeping into the national framework so it'd be great if that type of thing continues. I think I think the other element is is a kind of education perhaps for planners. I think it's clear that when you look across planners in the public, private, client side there's a lot of new terminology and I think also at a national level for the co- to be consistency across the terminology not only in planning but across the whole of the property industry in order that we can all work together to achieve net zero carbon by the national targets. Steve? From an environmental perspective, I think we need to move faster. I do think we need to do more more quickly. Carbon that's emitted now is in the atmosphere for longer than anything emitted in the future. So the more we can reduce our impact now, the better. Um, whilst obviously delivering buildings which deliver that human-centric element at the same time. And Marylis, you know, you, 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 you spend your whole time, you are steeped in, in this whole area. Uh, how, how happy, how confident are you about this now? I'm very confident that, that things are moving in the right direction. Retrofit only is probably potentially a step too far, but retrofit first and having the industry be aware that it really is the first step that you have to consider. The fact that from a commercial point of view, these assets are going to be stranded if we don't do anything to them. And from a planning point of view, that it, it should be considered as well. There's a lot of drivers pushing in the right direction. And I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah. That seems like a reasonable place to, to end this conversation. Thank you all very much, all three of you, for being here with us in the studio. Yes, thank you all for coming. So, Marilis, that's uh, another episode done. I'm learning so much uh, doing this. Uh, there are lots of blogs and, like, and the like on the Savills website uh, that people yes. can go and find out more. Do check it out. Yes, savills.co.uk forward slash research for that. What are we going to be talking about next time? Next time, we'll be talking about social value. It should be a very interesting and very important topic. Oh, okay. Uh, That's it from this episode. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and uh, see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.